0: Section Two of Gentle Measures in the Management and Training of the Young. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Luna Gentle Measures in the Management and Training of the Young by Jacob Abbott. Chapter Two What Are Gentle Measures? It being thus distinctly understood that the gentle measures in the training of children herein recommended are not to be resorted to as a substitute for parental authority but as the easiest and most effectual means of establishing and maintaining that authority in its most absolute form we have now to consider what the nature of these gentle measures is and by what characteristics they are distinguished in their action and influence, from such as may be considered more or less violent and harsh. Gentle measures are those which tend to exert a calming, quieting, and soothing influence on the mind, or to produce only such excitements as are pleasurable in their character, as means of repressing wrong and encouraging right action. Ungentle measures are those which tend to inflame and irritate the mind, or to agitate it with painful excitements three degrees of violence there seem to be three grades or forms of violence to which a mother may resort in controlling her children or perhaps rather three classes of measures which are more or less violent in their effects to illustrate these we will take an example case supposed. one day louisa four years old asked her mother for an apple have you had any already asked her mother. Only one, replied Louisa. Then Bridget may give you another, said the mother. What Louisa said was not true. She had already eaten two apples. Bridget heard the falsehood, but she did not consider it her duty to betray the child, so she said nothing. The mother, however, afterwards, in the course of the day, accidentally ascertained the truth. Now, as we have said, There are three grades in the kind and character of the measures, which may be considered violent, that a mother may resort to in a case like this. Bodily Punishment 1. First, there is the infliction of bodily pain. The child may be whipped, or tied to the bedpost, and kept in a constrained and uncomfortable position for a long time, or shut up in the solitude and darkness, or punished by the infliction of bodily suffering in other ways and there is no doubt that there is a tendency in such treatment to correct or cure the fault but measures like these whether successful or not are certainly violent measures they shock the whole nervous system sometimes with the excitement of pain and terror and always probably with that of resentment and anger in some cases this excitement is extreme the excessively delicate organization of the brain through which such agitations reach the sensorium and which in children of an early age is in its most tender and sensitive state of development is subjected to a most intense and violent agitation evil effects of violence in this form the evil effects of this excessive cerebral action may perhaps entirely pass away in a few hours and leave no trace of injury behind but then on the other hand there is certainly reason to fear that such commotions, especially if often repeated, tend to impede the regular and healthful development of the organs, and that they may become the origin of derangements, or of actual disorganizations, resulting very seriously in future years. It is impossible, perhaps, to know with certainty whether permanent ill effects follow in such cases or not. At any rate, such a remedy is a violent one. The frightening system two there is a second grade of violence in the treatment of such a case which consists in exciting pain or terror or other painful or disagreeable emotion through the imagination by presenting to the fancy of the child images of phantoms hobgoblins and other frightful monsters whose ire it is pretended is greatly excited by the misdeeds of children and who come in the night time to take them away or otherwise visit them with terrible retribution. Domestic servants are very prone to adopt this mode of discipline. Being forbidden to resort to personal violence as a means of exciting pain and terror, they attend to accomplish the same end by other means, which, however, in many respects, are still more injurious to their action. Management of Nurses and Servants Nurses and attendants upon children from certain nationalities in Europe Are peculiarly disposed to employ this method of governing children placed under their care one reason is that they are accustomed to this mode of management at home and another is that many of them are brought up under an idea which prevails extensively in some of those countries that it is right to tell falsehoods where the honest object is to accomplish a charitable or useful end accordingly inasmuch as the restraining of the children from wrong is a good and useful object, they can declare the existence of giants and hobgoblins, to carry away and devour bad girls and boys, with an air of positiveness and seeming honesty, and with a calm and persistent assurance, which aids them very much in producing on the minds of the children a conviction of the truth of what they say, while, on the other hand, those who, in theory at least, occupy the position that, the direct falsifying of one's word is never justifiable act at a disadvantage in attempting this method for although in practice they are often inclined to make an exception to their principles in regard to truth in the case of what is said to young children they cannot after all tell children what they know to be not true with that bold and confident air necessary to carry full conviction to the children's minds they are embarrassed by a kind of half guilty feeling which partially at least betrays them and the children do not really and fully believe what they say they cannot suppose that their mother would really tell them what she knew was false and yet they cannot help perceiving that she does not speak and look as if what she was saying was actually true monsieur and madame crockamy In all countries there are many, among even the most refined and highly cultivated classes, who are not at all embarrassed by any moral delicacy of this kind. This is especially the case in those countries in Europe, particularly on the continent, where the idea above referred to of the allowableness of falsehood, in certain cases as a mean for attainment of a good end, is generally entertained. The French have two terrible bugbears, under the names of Monsieur and Madame Cockermy who are as familiar to the imagination of french children as santa claus is in a much more agreeable way to the juvenile fancy at our firesides monsieur and madame Coquemitaine are frightful monsters who come down the chimney or through the roof at night and carry off bad children they learn from their little fingers which whisper in their ears when they hold them near who the bad children are where they live and what they have done the instinctive faith of young children in their mother's truthfulness is so strong that no absurdity seems gross enough to overcome it the black man and the policeman there are many mothers among us who though not quite prepared to call in the aid of ghosts giants and hobgoblins or of monsieur and madame croquemitein in managing their children still sometimes try to eke out their failing authorities by threatening them with a the black man or the policeman, or some other less supernatural terror. They seem to imagine that insomuch as, while there is no such thing in existence as a hobgoblin, there really are policemen in prisons. They only half tell an untruth by saying to the recalcitrant little one that a policeman is coming to carry him off to jail. Injurious Effects although by these various modes of exciting imaginary fears there is no direct and outward infliction of bodily suffering the effect produced on the delicate organization of the brain by such excitements is violent in the extreme the paroxysms of agitation and terror which they sometimes excite and which are often spontaneously renewed by darkness and solitude and by other exciting causes are of the nature of temporary insanity indeed THE EXTREME NERVOUS EXCITABILITY WHICH THEY PRODUCE SOMETIMES BECOMES A REAL INSANITY, WHICH, THOUGH IT MAY, IN MANY CASES, BE FINALLY OUTGROWN, MAY PROBABLY IN MANY OTHERS LEAD TO LASTING AND MOST DEPLORABLE RESULTS. HARSH REPROOFS AND THREATENINGS. Three. THERE IS A THIRD MODE OF TREATMENT, MORE COMMON, PERHAPS, AMONG US, THAN EITHER OF THE PRECEDING, WHICH, THOUGH MUCH MILDER IN its CHARACTER THAN THEY, we still class among the violent measures on account of its operation and effects it consists of stern and harsh rebukes denunciations of the highnessness of the sin of falsehood with solemn premonitions of the awful consequences of it in this life and in that to come intend to awaken feelings of alarm and distress in the mind of the child as a means of promoting repentance and reformation these are not violent measures it is true so far as outward physical action is concerned, but the effects which they produce are sometimes of quite a violent nature in their operation of the delicate nervous and mental susceptibilities which are excited and agitated by them. If the mother is successful in making the impression which such a mode of treatment is designed to produce, the child, especially if a girl, is agitated and distressed. Her nervous system is greatly disturbed. If calmed for a time, the paroxysm is very liable to return she wakes in the night perhaps with an indefinable feeling of anxiety and terror and comes to her mother's bedside to seek in her presence and in the sense of protection which it affords a relief from her distress the conscientious mother supremely anxious to secure the best interests of her child may say that after all it is better that she should endure this temporary suffering than not be saved from sin this is true but if she can be saved just as effectually without it it is better still the gentle mood of treatment for we now come to the gentle measures which may be adopted in a case of discipline like this they are endlessly varied in form but to illustrate the nature and operation of them and the spirit and temper of mind with which they should be enforced with a view of communicating to the mind of the reader some general ideas of the characteristics of that gentleness of treatment which it is the object of this work to commend we will describe an actual case substantially as it really occurred where a child whom we will still call louisa told her mother a falsehood about an apple as already related choosing the right time her mother though Louise's manner at the time of giving her answer led her to feel somewhat suspicious, did not express her suspicions, but gave her the additional apple. Nor did she, afterwards, when she ascertained the facts, say anything on the subject. The day passed away, as if nothing unusual had occurred. When bedtime came, she undressed the child and laid her in her bed, playing with her, and talking with her in an amusing manner all the time so as to bring her into a contented and happy frame of mind, and to establish as close a connection as possible of affection and sympathy between them. Then, finally, when the child's prayer had been said, and she was about to be left for the night, her mother, sitting in a chair at the head of her little bed, and putting her hand lovingly upon her, said, The Story But first I must tell you one more little story. Once there was a boy, and his name was Ernest. He was a pretty large boy, for he was five years old. Louisa, it must be recollected, was only four. He was a very pretty boy. He had bright blue eyes and curling hair. He was a very good boy, too. He did not like to do anything wrong. He always found that it made him feel uncomfortable and unhappy afterwards when he did anything wrong. A good many children, especially good children, find that it makes them feel uncomfortable and unhappy when they do wrong. Perhaps you do. Yes, mamma, I do, said Louisa. I am glad of that, replied her mother. That is a good sign. Ernest went one day, added the mother, continuing her story, with his little cousin Anna to their uncles, in hopes that he would give them some apples. Their uncle had a beautiful garden, and in it there was an apple-tree which bore most excellent apples. They were large and rosy and mellow and sweet. The children liked the apples from that tree very much, and Ernest and Anna went that day in hopes that their uncle would give them some of them. He said he would. He would give them three apiece. He told them to go into the garden and wait there until he came. They must not take any apples of the tree, he said. But if they found any under the tree they might take them provided that there were not more than three apiece and when he came he would take enough off the tree he said to make up the number to three so the children went into the garden and looked under the tree they found two apples there and they took them up and ate them one apiece then they sat down and began to wait for their uncle to come While they were waiting, Anna proposed that they should not tell their uncle that they had found the two apples, and so he would give them three more, which he would take from the tree, whereas if he knew that they had already had one apiece, then he would only give them two more. Ernest said that his uncle would ask them about it. Anna said, No matter, we can tell him that we did not find any. Ernest seemed to be thinking about it for a moment, and then, shaking his head, said, No, I think we had better not tell him a lie. So when he saw their uncle coming, he said, Come, Anna, let us go and tell him about it, just how it was. So they ran together to meet their uncle, and told him that they had found two apples under the tree, one apiece, and had eaten them. Then he gave them two more apiece, according to his promise and they went home feeling contented and happy they might have had one more apple apiece probably by combining together to tell a falsehood but in that case they would have gone home feeling guilty and unhappy the effect louisa's mother paused a moment after finishing her story to give louisa time to think about it a little i think she added at length after a suitable pause that it was a great deal better for them to tell the truth, as they did. "'I think so, too, Mamma said Louisa, at the same time casting down her eyes and looking a little confused. "'But you know,' added her mother, speaking in a very kind and gentle tone, "'that you did not tell me the truth to-day about the apple that Bridget gave you.' Louisa paused a moment, looked in her mother's face, and then— reaching up to put her arms around her mother's neck she said mamma i am determined never to tell you another wrong story as long as i live only a single lesson after all now it is not at all probable that if the case had ended here louisa would have kept her promise this was one good lesson it is true but it was only one and the lesson was given by a method so gentle that no nervous cerebral or mental function was in any degree irritated or morbidly excited by it moreover no one who knows anything of the workings of the infantile mind can doubt that the impulse in the right direction given by this conversation was not only better in character but was greater in amount than could have been effected by either of the other methods of management previously described how gentle measures operate by the gentle measures then which are to be here discussed and recommended are meant such as do not react in a violent and irritating manner in any way upon the extremely delicate and almost embryonic condition of the cerebral and nervous organization in which the gradual development of the mental and moral faculties are so intimately involved they do not imply any the least relaxation of the force of parental authority or any lowering whatever of the standards of moral obligation but are on the contrary the most effectual the surest and the safest way of establishing the one and of enforcing the other end of section two recording by sandra luna